We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 505. A very happy new year to you, Scott. What's the date today? It is January 6th. I officially marked today as the final day that you can wish me a happy new year. <laughs> that's because that's because we were recording. You was, yes. Whatever the date was that we were going to record next was going to be your final date. You got it. All right. Well, happy new year, man. Happy new year. Thanks. It was about this time last year we were doing the out of left field segment where I was bitching about people wishing me happy new year late in the year. And then the the curb episode happened like two weeks after that with Larry David complaining about the same thing. Not going to say that I'm a genius mind like Larry David, but on that one, I'll take the W and say we're on the same wavelength. I'm definitely not going to say that you're not on the same wavelength because there's I think there's a there's a lot of Larry David in both of us. You probably push it out there a little bit more. 
I, I definitely have the the mindset where I get very highly annoyed like he does. And I'm very analytical like he does about everything that people do. Mm. I just don't always voice that'll it. That'll drive you nuts. That'll, that'll ruin your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I'm wondering how people, you know, if, you, if you're of that ilk, if you are someone that gets mad at people who wish you Happy New Year when there's no people around, like, I feel like it's gone down a little bit. It's got, it has to. There's no, there's no, I know there's no tolerance anymore, but there's actually no people feeding into it anymore either. So, so it's funny. Um, and I was actually talking to Leo. So have we all this. become a little more patient? No, I've become less patient. Less patient because of just, you're dealing with the same people. Yeah. And so <laughs> it, it's actually gone backwards for me where I've interacted with fewer people than ever this year. And I have less patience for any of them. And, and now a stranger, even I, I have no patience for strangers at this point. I've really regressed as a human in 2020. <laughs> so a new year, a new year's resolution, a goal for me in 2021 is is maybe get back to where I was at the end of 2019. Can you set the bar? Can you person. set the bar a little higher? I mean, no, are you just, just going to get back to base? Set the bar to the to like the the, the, the pissed off, just mad at everybody still, just I, not as mad. You have, a, you have a kid. You have a kid coming in like a I know. Month. I know. So you maybe have to that'll set mellow me. An example. Back in 2019, end of the year, it was like, you know, really, I think the peak, peak of like pleasantness, that's not even a word for me, was right after I got back from New Zealand, my honeymoon at the beginning of 2020. So <laughs> late January, early February 2020, before shit hit the fan, I feel like I was, I was, I was a little bit more relaxed. I was like, I, we got married last year. That went well. <laughs> so COVID was a correction. <laughs> COVID was a market correction on my life. <laughs> That's ridiculous. As it was, I'm making light of the situation. There's people out there who actually went through some difficult times, lost family members, lost friends, lost yes. their jobs. So I'm not I'm really like, don't take this the wrong way. I'm making a joke of it. But there, there's also a ton of people out there like myself who didn't lose their job. Very lucky about that. Didn't lose anyone close to them. Very lucky about that. But it was just a mind F the entire year. Yeah. And, for and sure. that can't be overstated. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I think everybody, I think everybody agrees with that to to uh, one degree or another. There's there's not very many people out there that had, you know, a chipper 2020. <laughs> it was it was effed up, man. When you so we make jokes also about like being the the tolerance for um, uh, how you have a tolerance for strangers or a lack of tolerance for strangers. You you can't. The other thing they can't go overstated is the lack of human connection and like human communication that we all need, even if we don't think we need it, we do, we need it. We need it badly in person, human interaction, whether it's, you know, at a Yankees game, drinking a beer or that interaction. Yeah. Yeah. Or if it's walking down the street and just being normal, just, just normalcy. That's, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm talking about. Just give me a beer at the stadium, man. That's it. That's that, that, that would be like for me peak. Do you see yourself at a game in 2021? Because <clears throat> there's Evan Delrich reported this past week that despite some recent rumors that the season is not going to start on time, the MLB officials and everyone is going to do everything in their power to get it started on time. I'll read a quick ep- ex- quick excerpt. Can't read. Te- excerpt. Can't talk. Excerpt 
from a statement from MLB. We have announced the dates for the start of spring training in the championship season. As we get closer, we will, in consultation with public health authorities, our medical experts, and the Players Association, uh-oh, <laughs> determine whether any modifications should be considered in light of the current surge in COVID-19 cases and the challenges we faced in 2020, completing a 60-game season in a sport that plays every day. The article that Delrich was uh, quoted in also said that the owners want to limit the number of games played in front of no fans or in front of reduced capacity because obviously that's what they are claiming is their biggest financial hindrance is when we put on games in stadium without our full capacity, we get screwed financially. So they need to balance. It's a balancing act between how much do we want to, how many games do we want to delay or put on with no fans before we just say green light, we're just going to go from the start. Yeah, it's a tough decision. And I, I mean, they have to prepare like they're going to play, right? I mean, you have to prepare like you're going to play uh, so that they can have things ready if if indeed that does happen. So look, I'm, I'm glad they're doing that. <laughs> you asked me if I'm going to be at a game. I can tell you right now that we have five games reserved at, <laughs> at Yankee Stadium for uh, I, events. I know that, but, if, but they're God be... willing that it were to happen. But there's going to probably there could even be state by state regulations with how many fans are allowed in the stadium. Yeah, I mean te- Texas, for all we know, could say screw it, 100 percent capacity starting April 1st. But New York could say 50 percent capacity, and, yeah. and that's going so that that's going to completely change things. I know we have events on the calendar. We all want to go to games. Well, like you said, we all want to have beers at Yankee Stadium. Go to go to Billy's. Go to the dugout. Go to Yankee Tavern. All the bars around the stadium. We all want that. But 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 stop stop thinking with your heart and think with your brain. Do you think that's going to happen? Do you see yourself doing that in 2021? Maybe. <laughs> okay. Maybe. Maybe maybe. We'll see what happens. Uh, yeah. I uh, I don't like to go down the no path yet. No, I'm not going to say no either. It's just it, it's a uh, it's a weird it's weird to think because you haven't done it in so long. We haven't done it in so long being around that many people and yeah, it's outside, but also what happens when you have to go to the bathroom and there's 173 dudes crammed into, into a, a bathroom all trying to take a piss. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. It's going to be masks. Yeah. It's going to be weird. It's going to be weird. But if there's a baseball game happening in front of me and I can drink a beer, <laughs> we do, they need one of those, uh, they need a mask with like a retract uh, when a straw goes in and then it seals when it comes out. Goes in and then it seals when it comes out. You could just never take the straw out. You could just cut a little hole, keep the straw, keep, keep the, the straw by your in side. the entire time. Just keep it all sealed. It's a sealed thing. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, 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 I talking about that is just uh, is is off putting because it's. I know it's a long shot, but I so badly want it to happen. I mean, I'm I'm gonna put it on record right now. First giveaway of the season's got to be Yankees face masks, right? Probably. I mean, I assume that they're going to give everybody one when they come in anyway. Yeah. If that's a giveaway, that's some bullshit. Well, that's (laughs) going to be a a polite way of saying, please wear a mask. Well, yeah, it's going to be mandated, I'm sure. So it's not going to be, it's not going to be much of a, that is something that will be, the the no loitering policing of, uh, from the ushers went away in, uh, in the new stadium or in the new reconstruction of the stadium in the outfield. Everybody loiters now. It's just like what you do. You don't sit in your seat for more than 10 minutes. Whereas in the old Yankee Stadium, you couldn't. Like they would, you would get moved along very quickly. 
So this this will be the new policing. Mask, mask on. Imagine the other things you can get away with now. It'll also be interesting because obviously spring training happens in Arizona and Florida, and the those states are a lot more lax than some of the states in the in the north. So the Yankees could have fans in the stands at spring training, and then no fans in the stands at opening day in New York. Yeah. Yeah, assuming they open things up for, I think that might be a, not even just a Florida rule though, that's going to be, MLB's probably going to be talking about the the fans in the stands in Florida as well. Uh, if they get to that by spring training, like that's a, yeah, that's soon. So they, I know it's, 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 it's in six, like a month and a, yeah, it's in a it's month six and weeks change. away before. And I know this because that's when the babies do right around when pitchers and catchers report. So yeah, it's going to be here before we know it. Right. So I, I have a difficult time for them, you know, making these mandates and not having MLB involved with uh, with what's happening at spring training. Well, will Yasiel Puig be on, on the field for the Yankees? Because the annual Yasiel Puig to the Yankees rumor has been uh, released. Mark Feinstein tweeted, Yasiel Puig is drawing interest from multiple teams. Red Sox, Yankees, Astros, Marlins, and Orioles appear to have varying levels of interest. I feel like every year for the past three years, the Yankees have been linked to Yasiel Puig, whether it's a tweet, whether it's an article, whether it's actually serious, they might sign him. Whatever. He didn't play last year because, remember, Atlanta signed him and then he got COVID like a day after they signed him, so he had to basically bow out of the 2020 season. I want to end this right now. I want no part of Yasiel Puig on the Yankees, and it has nothing to do with his 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 boisterousness or his his flair or anything like that. I actually like that part of it. Yeah, he's just not that good of a player. (laughs) And for what the Yankees He's got a rocket arm. Great. Do you need a rocket arm in right field? He is an average to below average defender according to StatCast. He's got good exit velocity, which is good, but he doesn't walk a lot. He strikes out a decent amount. He's 8% walk rate, 21% K rate. He's an average player. He doesn't suck. He's not great. He had a very uh, quick rise with the Dodgers back in like the 2015. Was that 2014? It was like a long ass time ago. His story's nuts. Crazy. Just his story getting into into the country, the the kidnappings. It, it, it is a wild story. So, but think about it from what the Yankees need on the field in 2021. They I'm don't sure need a guy Puig. like Yasiel Puig. They need a no. guy. First of all, he's not a good defender. He he's a right fielder. Uh, I don't. Has he been playing in different outfield positions uh, on I, these I on think, other teams? Well, I know once he got to Cleveland, I believe he just was stuck in right field. But I think he was fl- floating around with the Dodgers towards the end of his time. Well, I mean, he wasn't a good right fielder, so floating him around doesn't doesn't make you much of a better team. And and the Yankees don't need another another outfielder that's you know of the same prototype, basically that. That uh, you have like Stanton. Stanton strikes out. There's more production, obviously, a hell of a lot more production on Stanton. But he's just he he's a problem when you're looking at the fit. So he plays right field. Stanton could play um, right field or left field, I guess. But Puig, at the end of the day, where would his value be? It's at the plate, and there's no room for that. There's just he's not flexible. He's it doesn't fit at all. It doesn't fit. Who would you rather get 400 plate appearances in 2021? Which is like a a playing sixty percent of the time, Puig or Clint Frazier? It's not even close, right? It's but Clint Frazier close. should be the starting left fielder. He should be, but I, but even if he is the starting left fielder, I still expect the Yankees to bring back 
Brett Gardner and have him play a decent amount. And there to be some sort of rotation, there's going to be injuries. So I, I say 400 plate appearances is, is like a, a ballpark. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason for... I think this is more of the fact that Puig's agent is now Trevor Bauer's agent. And we're going to put the Yankees in every single conversation because that's good for yes. business. Yeah. And so I don't expect the Yankees to sign Yasiel Puig. But I can't wait How to talk about now? it next How January. How old is he now? Uh, is he 33? 30? Yeah, I mean, he's anywhere from 33 to 107. <laughs> but, I mean, he's not a he's not a young guy either. And he's, yeah, he's he's already pretty much hit his peak in, in the He is 30. League. He was born December 7th, 1990. So he is 30. Oh, wow. Uh, okay, he's younger than I thought. Yeah, and I'm going to pull up his baseball reference page right now because I want to check when he did actually have that. He started with the Dodgers in 2013, and he finished second in Rookie of the Year voting, 15th in MVP voting. He had a 159 OPS plus in his first season. Awesome. He probably actually should have won the Rookie of the Year. I'm going to look up who won the Rookie of the Year in the NL that year. And then 2014, he played a full season. He got 640 plate appearances, finished 19th in MVP voting. He had another great season, 145 OPS+. And it's really kind of been downhill since then. He's had some good years. He's had some average years. When you add up his 2019, he had a 109 OPS+. That's nothing to sneeze at. But, but it's I not a fit for the team. And, and at this point, the way that the Yankees have to construct this team, they have to do it smart in a way that's going to complement the players and the existing assets. And right. You, you got to start thinking about, you have to start thinking about um, the pieces and how they fit together and how they're going to contribute to a championship team. And the Yankees, you know, for, for a while now have really put an emphasis and a priority on flexibility with some of the guys that are coming in at fourth, fifth outfield spots, right? Even some of the guys that are playing infield that can flex into the outfield. And they have that currently. Uh, Mike Talkman can play all the positions. Um, Gardner can play probably all of the outfield positions if, if they needed him to. He could play center field. He could play yeah, left. He's he never play played right. right. He never played right field. But I wouldn't doubt if he could, you know, this yeah. at this point. Is if really, you can play can center field, over. you can play anywhere in there. And at this point, I do believe that they are going to resign him. I agree with you. I think it's gone. Well, I don't even know it's gone so far into free agency. There are a lot of guys that are out still, uh, but it would surprise me if he were to play that it would not be, uh, it, it would be with the Yankees. If, if not, I, I feels like they're, they're, they're going to make that deal happen. Um, Jose Fernandez won the rookie of the year in 2013. In the oh, United. wow. So, and he, he had a fan, he had a fantastic season. So he, um, he had to have. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I expect Gardner to be signed. I think it'll happen like early February, maybe a week before spring training. The Yankees and then Brett Gardner's agent have announced they've agreed to terms to a $1 million deal or something like that. It's going to be very low. I know we talked about how he's already getting the $2 million buyout and you can't factor that in, but guess what? That's still money in his pocket. Right. It just doesn't have a consideration for what the agent's doing for this year. So if he, if he's going in for, let's say he signs a million dollar deal. And he starts yeah. off very slow. Do you think that the Yankees will end that uh, and, and bring someone up that can be more productive? Do you see? Could you see that happening, or is that now because you're bringing Brett Gardner back, even though it's a small contract, you're locked into him for him being there for the year, no matter? Yeah, what. you're kind of locked into him because what what's going to happen is the, if they sign him to a 
a a one-year deal with no options, which they should have done last year, with no options and it's cheap. It's basically saying this is the last year Brett Gardner is going to be on the Yankees. So then you're talking about Brett Gardner Day in August or September and all this kind of crap. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of other implications, exactly, if they were to sign him for a one-year deal like that. So, um, yeah, it's it's weird, man. It's uh, it's I don't think it's a... I don't think they could. I think they could be better if, if that's what we're doing here. If we're trying to be the best team and put the best team on the diamond uh, that that they possibly could in 2021, they could improve that spot. But doesn't feel like they're going to. Yeah. And well, we're at the what is it 16, 17 minute mark of the podcast, and it's the first time we're mentioning DJ LeMahieu. No real updates, but I did appreciate a very clever headline by NJ.com that said DJ LeMahieu's price higher for the Dodgers than the Yankees. And then you read the article and you realize they're talking about luxury tax because just signing DJ LeMahieu to about a $20 million AAV contract puts the Dodgers over the $210 million tax threshold and keeps the Yankees under it. Now, if the Yankees do other things, they'll be over it. But if they only sign DJ LeMahieu, they would be under $210 million. So in that sense, it's more expensive. The Dodgers the Dodgers have been labeled as a team interested in LeMahieu because they might not want to sign Justin Turner for a four-year contract, which is what he's been asking for. And, and Justin Turner's 36 years old. So if you're just comparing Turner to LeMahieu, and I know Turner is a lot more valuable to the Dodgers because he's been a Dodger a long time. He just won a World Series, and he, he's been a very clutch player for them. But LeMahieu's a much better player. More valuable or just more of he's just been there? and Sentimental and value. Sentimental okay. value to the Dodgers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right? Sure. I mean, yeah. I, I guess so. I think that on the on the field that's it's uh it's it's pretty clear that DJ's a better player. That's what I'm saying. That's not what that, I'm not saying. that Justin Turner's a bad player by any means. He's a good player and No, but he's getting up there in age. Yeah. And he's diminished defensively at third base. So when, when if you're the Dodgers and you're saying we have to sign someone for four years, you're gonna sign LeMahieu. But it's interesting that they would put him full time at third base because that's not LeMahieu's best position. Yeah, but that's the thing. You're like you're you're slotting him in for third base as the uh, the permanent spot, and he'll probably play all over the place. You know, like yeah, third base. He he could if he were to be a third baseman all year long, he could probably be close to a Gold Glove third baseman. These these are these are the beliefs that I have in DJ LeMahieu just being better at anything he does yeah. if he focuses. If on he it. was a pitcher all year long, he could Dominate. finish top ten in Cy Young voting. He would be a perfect number four for this rotation. Perfect number four. Maybe that's He's a workhorse. Gives him six innings every time. Two two to Do three. Do you think runs. DJ's leaving the game in under six innings? No, he's not. You know he's going to figure it out. DJ LeMahieu as the number four starter would do what J Hap was signed to do. <laughs> Not what J-Hap did, what J-Hap was signed to do. I am not joking here. I believe that DJ LeMahieu, if he were to be the fifth starter in the New York Yankees, (laughs) would go out there and give them innings. Shut up. He would give them innings. I could go out there and give them innings. Yeah, I think he would figure it out. He would probably construct a knuckleball in like a week. And 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 it would be nasty. He's going to get coached by Eric Kratz. Yes, and and it would be nasty because that's what DJ does. Yeah, so there's no there's no updates. I mean, look, that's a it's a bit of a um, it's a bit of a loaded headline in the sense that yeah, it's oh, of it's, course, but yeah. not not just the contract price, but but the Yankees are probably depending on what they do as well. Uh, I could see them going over it. Well, know, basically, with, if the Yankees sign Lemayhew or do and, anything on the pitching side and sign other players, it doesn't even have to be big name players. They're going to yeah. be over it. Right. But if they do nothing. And only sign LeMahieu, they would be under it. But if they only sign LeMahieu and do nothing else to the team, 
you didn't get better this offseason. Well, we, we have a lot of belief in our young guys, our, our, our rotation. Right. And we're getting we Domingo Herman back. We have mailbag questions about that. And then after the mailbag questions, we're also going to do the ultimate Yankees team of the 2000s. We did 2010s a few weeks ago. So we'll get to that in a minute. Hey guys, I want to tell you about a project that I'm working on here at Blue Wire called Blue Wire Hustle. It's a, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to a next level. Or if you just want to host a podcast and you don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place to do that. As part of the program, you'll receive uh, personal cover art. We got Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to community discord, and also an e-learning course that's full of tips and tricks and lots of things that we used actually to grow Bronx Pinstripes as well. On top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple and Spotify and Google and Stitcher and Amazon and all the other listening platforms that now exist. And the best part, you only get this for 15 bucks a month. It's the same exact rate really, if not cheaper than most hosting sites would charge you just for an initial setup and a monthly fee. So whether you're starting from scratch or you have an existing show that you wanna grow, Hustle is an open door to level up your sports experience. Get that audio tight. Acceptance into the program is limited. So get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more information, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. First though, updated World Series odds because there's been some movement, even though the Yankees have done jack shit, there's been some movement in some rosters. So the Dodgers opened for the 2021 World Series odds right after the World Series this year at 9-2, to two, and they are currently 9-2. to two. They have not changed. The Padres, though, interestingly, opened at 8-1, to one, and they're now 6-1 to because with the additions that they've made this offseason. The, the Rays dropped pretty significantly. They were third. The Rays were third in odds to open. 10-1, to one, now 16-1 to one with the loss of Blake Snell and Charlie Morton. So we yeah, talked a- about last week. How much does this affect the Rays? I mean, it certainly affects the Rays, and not that not that these odds mean anything when it comes to playing on the field, but that's a pretty significant drop. It, I mean, it's a it's a significant drop for for Vegas because Vegas doesn't know the two names that are going to come up here and dominate in the rotation that the Rays haven't told anybody about yet. I just i i don't i see why Vegas would go down here, and and this is probably a good bet, to be honest, uh, for people who are degenerates. But the Tampa Bay Rays have a, a secret, a secret, a secret sauce in what they do with their pitching staff. And again, I am just, I am just, uh, I'm wary of the the drop off because of the flexibility of that team and what they have in the bullpen. I, I would not be surprised if they were to able, if they were able to um, either orchestrate a, rotation spot as a uh as a as a bullpen game and or convert one of these guys into a starting pitcher an effective starting pitcher it just would not surprise me at all and th- and them not see a drop off look at the mets they opened at 33 to 1 and now they're 14 to 1 so that just shows how much the willpons suck you just get a new owner in there and your odds double yeah that's pretty crazy cuz they can spend it's, it's money. hopium it's hopium. It, it's a sucker's so it's just, bet, but yeah. It's just that Cohen is going to maybe sign Bauer, trade for Francisco Lindor, and it's going to completely revamp the the Mets this year. But when you when you look on the field, they've done nothing other than lose Robinson Cano. 
Yeah, uh, addition by subtraction. I like the fact that you're using my hopium uh, word, though. I'm glad Is that what I'm glad I, I was thinking? Sticking. I was like, was that a Scott term or did I oh, hear yeah. that somewhere else? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a great one. Yeah. Yankees. I mean, are, Steve Cohen definitely brings it to to uh, Queens. It, it gives definitely. them it gives them some promise. <laughs> I love the fact that he's all active on Twitter though, and everybody's like, "Yeah, well, he's going to do everything." And then and then he's tweeting about, "Oh, it's been quiet." Yeah. He's just he's just <laughs> delivering so far un, uh, under expectations at this point. I feel like every Mets fan was expecting them uh, the the team to already have landed two you know big free agents, steal LeMahieu from the Yankees, sign Bauer. Did no one tell Steve Cohen that the MLB offseason just drags on and on and on and nothing happens in December, nothing happens in January? Then maybe January 23rd, you'll start to get some some action in leading into spring training. Did no one tell Steve Cohen that when he bought the Mets? Well, no, he wasn't in the boys club yet. Now he's in the boys club and he's figuring all that out. He could have asked us. Well, he's he's figuring all that out, all the, all the uh, behind closed doors conversations that aren't happening but are happening. And the, uh, the Yankees, 13 to 2, they have not moved. All right, we got a couple of mailbag questions. They're both from Andrews. I swear I did not submit these mailbag questions. The first, Andrew says, ideas for the rotation. Resign Tanaka and sign Taiwan Walker. 1.37 ERA in six 2020 starts for him. Cole, Tanaka, Walker, Montgomery, Herman, Garcia, Loizaga, Schmidt, with Severino returning to unseat whoever after Cole and Tanaka would be the deepest and best rotation in the AL East, if not the entire league. If a pitcher could be had via trade, get him. Tampa Bay, Baltimore, and Boston don't have solid number threes, while Toronto's only solid number three or better is Ryu, who turns 34 on March 25th and is no lock to replicate his 2.69 ERA. Besides, he can't start every game. None of them have improved this offseason while I think the Yankees will improve. I think 90 wins clinches the division, but it could be clinched with 80-something wins, maybe even a 500 record. Unlikely 500, but who knows? Let me say this loud and clear, Andrew. The goal is not to win the AL East. The goal is to win a World Series. This rotation that you mentioned is not going to win a World Series. Yeah, it'll win the AL East, but that should no longer be the goal, especially with the expanded playoffs. That are probably going to be implemented again. I know they're not technically implemented for 2021. Taiwan Walker is is a is a mirage. That's there. He's got a body of work that says he's not a 137 ERA. In uh, I know he's what six starts. I, I I don't believe in Taiwan Walker one bit. I know he was a a, a guy coming up who was a, a top prospect. He was a top. Um, draft guy and he just didn't shape up to what they thought he's bounced around he's had injuries I, I don't believe in the player at all uh, so I, I think that's um that's hopium right there within a within a player itself to me again I've talked about this I think that there is an opportunity for the Yankees to double down on the pitching staff because of what they have in the in controlled assets right now and it would be to go out and get a guy that's a hell of a lot more proven than a Taiwan Walker like right now is the time to, to me to go out and and make a strong move at the top of the rotation if possible. If it's available, do it. And there, I mean, there is an available option for money. That's Trevor Bauer. We don't know what that's going to look like. They, he put out, they put out a statement through his agent last night talking about that he's he's going to go on YouTube and talk about the structure that he's looking at, the teams that he's talking to, the so criteria. T- I'm tired of him. Are you tired of him yet? I'm tired of him. I, I've ignored a lot of it, so it's, it's not bothering me yet. Uh, but Look, he's he's going out with these PSAs, uh, talking about the different things, trying to uh, attack free agency in a different way. You see way. him chirping John Heyman on Twitter the other day. He's chirping everybody. He's chirping everybody. So it's I, I just I, I think that when they're they're trying to there's a buzz that 
look, they know that nobody's, nothing's happening in free agency right now. So they have an opportunity to stand out in a market that doesn't exist yet. And they're doing that. And, and, and he's doing it to exactly what he has been doing for a long time in the, in social media. This is what he's good at. So he's an antagonist. He's doing, he's doing this on purpose and he's, you're letting him win by him bothering you. I hate Trevor Bauer. Now, if the Yankees <laughs> sign, if the Yankees sign him, I will like him for his start days. I yeah. will, I will root for Trevor Bauer, and I will be one hundred percent behind Trevor Bauer on the days that he starts. But then the next day and the four days in between, I will go back to hating him because that's how much of a unlikable person he is. I mean, that might change. That might change because he says a couple of different things that that tweak your uh, your 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 Yankee fandom. You're like, oh, okay, all right. Now he's now he's now he's have, now he's one of our guys, and and I have that no changes problem. the way. It, I have no problem with speaking out. I have no problem with that, especially because he can back it up on the field with his performance. But what he's doing this offseason is trolling. He has gone past chirping. He is now just trolling. He's, he's always been a troll. He's been a troll forever. That's what he does. This is what he does. These are expectations I like that trolls. are set in I my hate brain. Trolls. I don't like trolls. Fine. But the Yankees still have the opportunity. I don't want to have to pay the troll toll. <laughs> they have the opportunity to always increase and bolster the rotation. At the top, not not in the middle. The middle is secured right now. Tyler Walker's of, not even in the middle. That's like a four. Fine. Middle, middle, bottom, whatever. Like that's not where you need to improve no. right now. Where no. we need to improve is the top. The top. That's what's going to get us to the next level. Yes. Okay. If Davey Garcia and Clark Schmidt turn the corner and become a lot more uh consistent and steady, and they become uh if Davey Garcia becomes what what he has, you know, what what he showed a in a brief spurt last year, then great. That's huge. Yep. But you can't bank on that. That's that's what's that's what's so good about having him and a guy like Clark Schmidt. And you know, again, uh, looking at baseball only, a guy like Herman Montgomery. Those guys at the bottom have the ability to spike and be something much higher than what we think and what their expectations would be in a four or five spot. So go get somebody who's at least a solid three, a two three. Like that's where you should be going. If you break down this rotation that he names to, to realistic, not best case scenario, not worst case scenario, realistic for 2021, Garrett Cole, ace. We know that. Tanaka, what is he realistically in 2021? A three. A number, uh, I was going to say number four because he, he's gotten to the point where he, he can't, he, he gets tired after 76 pitches or whatever the hell it was. I mean, this is what Tanaka is. Well, I think the, the the conversation about number three starter and number four starter is just different right now. And there's not much of a, a gap. Okay, fine. But he's no longer a go out there and shove as a number two pitcher in the postseason. We agree? No, yeah, he's definitely not. He doesn't shove. He doesn't shove anything. No, he, he, <laughs> he, he gets gassed at 76 pitches yeah. and has to come out of a game. Yeah. Taiwan Walker, also a middle to back of the rotation guy. Domingo Herman, I think, is a middle to back of the rotation guy. He has not pitched in a full season, and even the last time we saw him pitching in the second half of twenty eighteen or of twenty nineteen, he was mediocre to bad. It was also okay. the most innings he had pitched from yes. what I remember uh, to 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 date in his career. So that that drop off is not something out of the norm when you look at a guy who's worked uh, longer and and theoretically harder than he ever has in his career. So I I think you're underserving his upside. I think his upside okay. is, is definitely higher than that. Okay. Jordan Montgomery, I think, has probably the most upside for 2021 out of any of these names. Uh, Possibly, yeah. I think yeah, he yeah, could no, be the of best. Of all of the pitcher. names, but I think, uh, I think Garcia has 
he has the talent and he's shown that he has the upside to me. So he does. Okay, maybe not upside's the right word. I think Jordan Montgomery will have the best season out of any of those names listed there other than Garrett Cole. And you're not unc- you're not including Severino because you're, you're I said you're, what is Severino you're putting gonna be? him he's later be because he's going to be there later in He's going to be working back from Tommy John surgery. I'm not counting on Severino to really be that much of a contributor. Okay, so the rotation that Andrew that Andrew uh offered here is no different than what we exi- that we have and then you throw in a, a, a jag. That's just another that's guy. That's my point. That's my point. He's got a lot of names here that if they all work out, well of course, then it's great, but the chances of them all working out is slim to none. And Taiwan Walker is not going to change that. Taiwan Walker like is much said, closer a to a five ERA than a one three seven ERA. It's that that is not believable. He's a he's like a, he's a five ERA guy. That's what he Clark, is. Clark Schmidt is intriguing certainly, but he did not. He he is essentially starting, completely entering uh, MLB. Uh, is will be debuting in the MLB next year. He, he did not really get his feet wet in twenty twenty. Well, I mean, we can say that easily because it didn't. He didn't succeed. If he came in in those spots and did well, then we'd what did be saying he pitch? Like six innings? Yeah, he didn't. He came in at the end and and was not. He was definitely held back a little bit, and whether that's for development or control or whatever they're trying to do, he six is, and uh, a third innings. That's that's not anything. Yeah, and it was a relief. Most was yes. it all relief? Yeah, he didn't. Did start he open a game? a game? I know, but it might have been an open. Oh, he did start. Okay, so he did, he did start one game, and I think it was an opening situation. He pitched yeah. in three games, six and a third innings. I'm sorry that that that's he's he's completely entering a new territory next year as 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 uh, an MLB player. Six Debbie and a third Garcia. innings was also contributed by you know lack of performance of good performance as well. Devi Garcia, on the other hand, he got decent experience. He started a number of games. He was the game two starter in the playoffs, <laughs> which you know goes a long way for a player's development. Yeah. And confidence, big time, big time confidence booster being the game two starter. <laughs> really a lot of confidence in that guy. And, and Johnny Lewisaga at this point, he's gotten a lot of chances and he has not. Again, succeeded. I still think he's a bullpen. I still think he would be best served as a uh, a one inning guy in the sixth, seventh inning. I could see him really forming into that role. I know he he was uh, brought in for for two innings at times. He's a Chad Green type guy, but he's not on the Chad Green level. He's not he's not there yet at all, but he's got the stuff to do it. So if the Yankees plan is to let the other teams in the division get worse and then just win the division by default, well, I guess you can say it's working because the Rays got worse this offseason. Again, be careful. Be careful what you ask for with those Rays. But what happens if the... And they got Michael Waka and uh, and the other one, I can't think of his name ever, from Seton Hall Prep. <laughs> what, if, what happens if the Blue Jays sign DJ LeMahieu? Where do the Blue Jays stand the Blue Jays are, in the division? Are, are up there. They're absolutely up there. They they are going to get better because they're going to get a year older and improve maturity. And they they and, technically made the playoffs last year. They were part of the expanded, right? Didn't they make the playoffs? Yes. Or, and they, they have... Am I wrong about that? No, you're not. They have the ability to turn it up another level offensively. On the pitching side of the ball, you got a, a rock like Ryu over there. Um, they have some really good young pitching coming up. I think they're a dangerous team. If they if they get a DJ LeMahieu and then you know add another pitching piece, yes, they could sneak up and and uh, and absolutely compete for the AL East. It would not yeah. surprise me if they were a hell of a lot better next year uh, than than they were this year. 
And now winning the division is less important than ever, I think. I think the playoffs are going to be expanded for 2020. Well, even home field advantage means dick right now. Well, for so technically for 2021, they, they're going to go back to the old format with just the two wild card games and then you play the one game play in. And then I think it was going to be revisited for the next CBA. But because I think owners love the idea of expanded playoffs because that means more playoff dollars, I think the players are also for it because it means more playoff shares for them. Yeah, definitely. It's a win-win for everybody. And we talked about how managers love it because it's more opportunity to make the postseason. Yeah. I would be shocked if they don't implement it for 2021. So now, even if you finish with 110 wins and you get the best record overall, you're still playing a three-game wild card series. So what is the freaking incentive to win the division at this point? There's not. There's not an incentive. There, there is load management, baby. This is going to be the new word in baseball as it has become in the NBA. It's, it's, it's making a long, long regular season very, very meaningless. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really just jockeying for position that that in the end doesn't mean anything because does home field advantage well not right now it doesn't mean anything but who knows what home field advantage actually gives you uh in the in the playoffs as far as a as far as an, an opportunity to win. We've seen in the past few years when the Yankees made it that home field advantage has meant dick at the end. So the it's going to be get your spot in the playoffs, maybe get a top half seating just so you can play that first series at home, but just be healthy for the playoffs. That's all that's going to matter. It's not it, 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 you're not going to go balls to the wall to win the division just because you you'll win the division and maybe you would have maybe to avoid the one game wild card, but now you're playing a three game series no matter what. Yankees went on the road last year and they won in Cleveland against the Beebs. They 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 beat the, the AL Cy Young. So 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 what winning the division I think is now less important than ever. So who cares if the Rays got worse and, and who cares if the Yankees are going to win the division by default? The point is to win the World Series. That rotation that we just talked about ain't winning a World Series. It's not getting through four playoff rounds. I agree with you totally. To, un, unless the kids step up. But there's a lot of ifs. The next mailbag question is from Andrew number 2. Andrew Campbell, he says he's a he's a regular. Long, long, long time listener. Long time listener, long time mailbagger. Hey guys, happy new year. Thank you, Andrew. As we already established, today is the last day you can wish me that. As we Yankee fans sit and wait for something, anything to happen during this offseason, it was reported that Masahiro Tanaka might go back to Japan if he does not resign with the Yankees. If that is what ultimately happens and his MLB career would come to an end, do you think he has done enough to have his jersey number retired by the Yankees franchise? Or perhaps he's given the unofficial jersey retirement like Jorge Posada, A-Rod, Bernie. Seven years... Bernie's officially retired, isn't he? I can't keep up anymore. He bet, I think he Bernie, sh- Bernie's he officially retired. should be, yeah. Bernie's officially retired. Seven years isn't that long of a tenure, but Masashir has taken the number 19 for one hell of a ride with the Yankees. And Andrew, I, you know, I love you. Mean it. I, I, you always submit mailbag questions and I, and I do really appreciate that because we love answering mailbag questions. No, the but come is, on. Yeah. Tanaka. And there's, there's, it's, it's not even, to me, it's not even on the scale of possibility. He's, he's done nothing. Done at the end. He's done. had a handful of good playoff starts. Okay, but never but, won a World Series. But nothing's happened with those playoffs. Right. Nothing has happened. And then when you're wearing the Yankee uniform, you need you need production. You need wins. You need championships. You need you need trophies coming home. And that just has not happened. So so I can't even I can't even think about it. No, 
And and this is a product of maybe nothing happening in baseball, so his mind is just going for anything. Uh, people have used the uh, Reggie Jackson because the Yankees retired Reggie Jackson's number, even though he only played five years with the team. He also won two championships and had possibly iconic, one of the most iconic moments in <laughs> Yankees history. I was going to say one of the most iconic moments in World Series history, hitting three home runs in three consecutive at-bats to clinch a World Series title. And he's a Hall of Famer. So it's I've you I've heard the Reggie Jackson argument as like, well, he's only played five years and his number is retired. You know what? You want to make an argument that his number shouldn't be retired? I might agree with that. But at the same time, icon of the sport and had an iconic moment in pinstripes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to to Eve, to put Tanaka into the category of Posada, Arod, and and Bernie is just—it's not close. It's not, these guys; these guys have won championships with the New York Yankees, they, multiple championships, or spent fifteen years with the team, or something like that. Yeah. It's like, and, and that's mean, a good—that's a good segue into the team of the decades. Well, for also, the you want to have the conversation about Brett Gardner or Tanaka? Like there's, oh, yeah, it's Gardner, not close. It's not close there either to me. No, neither should get their number. No, or but it's any but it's sort of, way further along for Brett Gardner than it is for Masahiro Tanaka. Definitely, me. at least he's been on a championship team and been with the team for a long time and been a uh, seen as a clubhouse leader during that yeah. time. Not that Tanaka is not seen as a clubhouse leader, but it he has not been there nearly long enough. If if Tanaka signs another three year deal with the Yankees and has a little bit of a resurgence and the Yankees win two championships in that time and he's a part of the rotation, different story. Then we can then we can have the conversation. Now those but seven in, years, plus the additional ones that he's winning championships, become a hell of a lot different when you look back on them, because totally. now when you look at the body of work, you're including championships, you're including, uh, you know, being a participant in those. Yes, championships do a lot. Whether you think that's Fair or not to to uh, to judge the championship in a given year, uh, that and include it, lump it in, and and make it such a big difference based on uh, a ten year career or a nine year career, whether you agree with that or not, it's a, it it's a real thing. It's very yep. true. You, you if you win one in the first year or you win one in the tenth year, it matters. Let's say in an alternate reality, the Yankees lose to the Phillies in the two thousand nine World Series. Are we even talking about CC Sabathia in the same light that we are with the fact that they? They won with him. Um, it, it's a, it's a good question because he has the championship, so that does that does numb a lot of things. I think in the conversation, he's got the body of work though that's so much longer, uh, and and he had the body of work before he came in. People didn't know Tanaka before he came to the Yankees either. CC had a reputation before that, so I, I do think that, if he that he had stock already. If he, but if he didn't win a championship with the Yankees, I don't think he would be nearly as beloved as because what we the first I think CC's a bad example here because I think CC's a very uh, he's he's outgoing he's got a great personality that's that's he puts he on the on the forefront whereas Tanaka is a lot more reserved in that sense you know I, I just think it's a different okay. it's apples maybe to it's a bad maybe it's a bad and example. CC's been around forever I mean he's been he's been pitching in 20, the big leagues for twenty years nineteen twenty years. And he's a Hall of Famer, and he he's... Yeah, okay, fine. Bad example. Um, Yankees team of the 2000s. So we did the 2010s, I think it was two weeks ago. People got a little angry at us on Instagram that we picked Didi over Jeter for the 2010s. I thought we made it pretty clear in the show that it's not really that... I mean, it's not really... It's close, but I'll, it, it a slight edge on taking Didi for the his run 
of 660 games in the 2010s than Jeter's 609 games. Jeter's peaks were better than Didi's peaks because if you look at Jeter's, I think it was 2010 and 2012 seasons, he was phenomenal, offensively at least. 2011, I believe, is when he had the 3,000 hit and he kind of took a dip. Remember, he really struggled in the first half of that Mm -hmm. season, talked about how he had pressure of, of reaching the milestone uh, eh, he well, didn't really hit the pressure. It was like it was in the back of his mind. Uh, did he actually say the word pressure? I I don't remember if he said it or not. But. I think he did use the word. He used the p word. I think <laughs> there there was there was definitely something there. He acknowledged that it was there for sure. But when you look at overall value, Didi fifteen point seven WAR, Jeter seven point five WAR. It comes down to defense, and that I'm sorry, that's part of it. Jeter was. A, you have to get rid of the names. I think when you're looking at these uh, and 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 look at where they. The, the player and then identify if you're looking at the names identify where they were in their career as well it's a yeah. big it's a big deal it's a, it makes like, a huge difference like don't worry Jeter's going to be the shortstop of the 2000s and the shortstop of the 90s don't you worry we're not going to be <laughs> stupid here but Jeter just was not the same player by the 2010s that he was in the 2000s uh all right team stats of the 2000s the Yankees no surprise here had the best winning percentage 597 they went 965 and 651 overall. The next highest win total was Boston at 920, then St. Louis at 913, the Angels at 900. I was surprised about that one. And Atlanta at 892. The Yankees made the playoffs every year except 2008. They won two championships. They had four pennants. And uh, no, that's wrong. Four pennants. Yeah, four pennants. 2000, 2001, 2003, 2009, four pennants. Position player stats, 245 war, ranked fourth behind the Cardinals, Phillies, and Atlanta. Huh? Okay. Pitcher stats, 201 war. That ranked first above Oakland, Arizona, Boston, and the White Sox. But their starter war ranked behind Arizona, and you can directly correlate that to Randy Johnson and Kurt Schilling. (laughs) The reliever war ranked second behind the Dodgers. All right, you ready to get into the position by position? It, this this is much more clear cut this decade than it's the, a whole lot more clear cut. Yeah, because yeah. there's a, there's a lot of they've retained a lot of players. There's a couple of positions that are up for discussion. Catcher is not one of them. Jorge Posada, he's the only candidate. Thirty seven. Real quick, the fact that the Dod- the Dodgers were uh, ahead of them in the uh, bullpen is surprising. Is that that the Eric well, Gagne effect? We're gonna get to Mariano. And you're going to realize he was the only good reliever they had over the course of that span. Crazy. The Yankees. So 37.5 war for Jorge Posada in the decade. Next highest, Jose Molina. You love him. We love him. 4.9 war. 208 home runs. Next highest was John Flaherty at 12. 131 WRC plus for a decade as a catcher is freaking bonkers. His average season was a 283 batting average, 386 on base, 492 slugging, 21 homers, 29 doubles. Not only that, Posada was the catcher of the decade for all of baseball. Do you do you think that when we look back at Jorge Posada's career in 20 years that it's going to be looked at a hell of a lot differently and and almost look like a travesty that he didn't get more consideration for the Hall of Fame? I think so. And I think it's already starting because... Because there's he got dismissed pretty quickly. He did. And he, he had an 
a, a real, he had like a nine-year amazing run. He was the best offensive catcher in baseball. Look at these stats. He's not only the best offensive catcher, he was the most valuable catcher of the 2000s. He had 37.5 war. The next highest was Yvonne Rodriguez at 31. Then Joe Maurer at 28.5. Then uh, Jason Kendall. Then Brian McCann. He's ahead of uh, really amazing players here. And when you look at his eight to nine year run, it matches up with any Hall of Fame catcher. And catchers are not a position that you last 18 years at. It's a it's a condensed window. And Posada's peak is more than Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy when you when you compare it. Um, I want to go back and look at that. We should do that for a future episode. Look at uh, some of the Yankees players that have been dismissed for a Hall of Fame and where they stack up today. Yeah. Because I think I think even you know just looking at these numbers right now, it's um it's sticking out to me a hell of a lot more for whatever reason than than it had in the past. Yeah. So Posada, it's it's uh, he's deserves. If you're making an all MLB team of the 2000s, Jorge Posada is your catcher. Which would not be the guess for, for, uh, of the majority of Major League Baseball fans. It would no, be. The, it would probably be. I, I'd say a lot. I'm looking at the numbers and Pudge is up there, but I bet Maurer would come out as yeah. as one of the top guys in and a lot of people's. You know what? It, it, it's because we have these arbitrary lines of 2000 to 2009. Maurer's total value because he didn't play for as long as Posada in those years right. is is less. So if you look at like 2005 to 2015, Joe Maurer is a better player than Jorge Posada. But if you're just doing the cutoff of the decade, which makes it easy, then yeah, it, it's Posada. But Maurer, no questions, better player than Posada. It goes back to the argument, though, when you have to look at eras. When does the era start and end? Uh, you know, depending on the the what's happening in baseball, it's it's clean to do it by decade, but it's also not not usually accurate because of uh, when you look at when the steroids came into the league, when they theoretically left in, in mass, like that's where you have to dub the era, not necessarily based on the, the actual year itself. So, right. The Giambino is your first baseman and he wins by default because there wasn't really anyone else there that was good other than Teixeira who only played one season with the team. So Giambi 21.9 war, 209 home runs, 145 WRC plus, and his average season was a 260 batting average, 404 on base. He was an on base machine, 521 slugging, 30 homers. Did you know the Yankees had 21st baseman in the decade? And I recognize every name as someone who played except Aaron Guile. Do you, you don't remember? You don't remember Aaron Guile? The um, I didn't know he played for the Yankees. He played 44 games for the Yankees in 2006. <laughs> He, I remembered the name Aaron Guile and from, I did from not the Kansas City Royals. The yep. He was with the Royals for um, a minute, right? He uh, forty-four yeah. games. Don't you think you'd remember someone who played forty-four games? I don't remember what I ate for lunch two weeks ago, let alone two days ago, let alone uh, a guy named Aaron Guile who played forty-four games for the New York Yankees uh, while I was drunk for a decade. So no, not. <laughs> it's not surprising that I don't remember those forty-four games. To be I remembered all of the other names, all the other random ass first. What year was it? 06. 06. Yeah. Okay. I was at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> I was in high school. So your second baseman, this is where there's some conversation to be had. Is it Robinson Cano or is it Alfonso Soriano? And I think that for the purposes of establishing this team, I am going to pick Robinson Cano, but Soriano will come up later. Uh, Cano edges them out in total war, 11 to 
but Soriano edges out in home runs, 97 to 87. Soriano edges out in WRC plus, 115 to 112. Cano played five years. Soriano played in four seasons. Average season for each, Cano, 306 average, 17 dingers, 40 doubles. Soriano, 285 average, 24 homers, 31 doubles. Um, Who are you taking as your second baseman for the decade? Yeah, it's when you're looking at the... um, the amount of time, uh, amount of plate appearances, amount of games, I think that Cano has to get the edge here because because he's got more of a body of work as well. So I still think it's Cano, even though it's definitely closer. And Soriano, you know, in the in our hearts in the 2000s, I feel like Soriano was uh, was was someone who was still uh, a beloved a beloved part of the team, a beloved part of uh, Yankees fandom. But Cano has the numbers and. So I, I I think it's Robinson Cano, and I don't think it's that close, actually. Yeah, and when you're picking someone who's going to be playing second base, wouldn't you rather Cano defensively than Soriano? There's no doubt, because Soriano ended up being probably a better outfielder. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that Mark Bellhorn played nine games for the Yankees in 2005? I do remember I Mark had Bellhorn. No rec- I remember Mark Bellhorn for him with the and Red the Braves, Sox. And the Braves. He I- hit a devastating home run. In Game Six of the ALCS, off yeah. of the Yan- against the Yankees in 04. I did not remember he played for the Yankees, though. I do remember that. I do remember him playing for the Yankees. Well, those those games. those like those obscure utility players for the New York Yankees, for whatever reason, stick in my mind. Yeah, I remember the Luis Sohos, the Enrique Wilsons, the Luis Miguel Soho's Cairo's. A rocket second base, a rocket second base. <laughs> he played a lot less than you re- probably realize. He should he should have been considered a hell of a lot more for the manager position of the New York Yankees. To be honest, shortstop is who do you think it is? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of another shortstop for for the decade. It's Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter is the guy. So we, <laughs> I've heard of that guy. We're we're, so. we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be safe here because it's the no right one answer. Has to bitch about this. Yeah. So obviously Andy Phillips. No, he was first baseman. He was first baseman. Derek Jeter amassed 46.2 war. Andy Fox. That's what I was thinking of. 161 homers, 125 WRC plus. Average season was a 317 batting average with 16 homers, 32 doubles, and 194 hits. Did you know Jeter played in 93% of Yankees games throughout the decade? He played in 1,500 of 1,620 games. And if it weren't for that 03 opening day injury, he would have played in like 98% or 97%. So when people talk about durability and how players now can't even get on the field for like 80% of the... Like, can Aaron Judge just get out there for 80%? Derek Jeter's playing 95% of games for a decade. Yeah, that's it's it's a lost art, and I think a part of this is because of the the money involved. I really think it's a big part of why we're seeing it today. These guys are are such massive assets to these teams that they don't want to risk it anymore. They just don't see the upside in risking it anymore, and a lot of it goes back to the this Excel sheet that you had on profitability and how you yeah. win. Like it's become so much about that that. They're they're just mitigating risk at this point for for people out. Whereas Derek Jeter, it was a different time. He would go out there and and play. It was a different mindset, I think. But yeah, give me some give me some of that, please. I mean, that's that's what we do see in DJ LeMayu. Guy, you know, rips his thumb off to to get back into the game, Ronnie Lott style, cutting the thing off just to get back in the game. Like that's the grip. Cut me, Mick. Cut want. me. But a guy like Aaron Judge, I think that it affects him so much 
uh, I've talked about this in the past with his, because he's such a big body guy, I think even the smaller injuries are uh, more affecting the way that he does things mechanically. And I think it's a big problem for him. Yeah. So you're right that it's it's amazing when you look at it from a decade span and see that the the player played in close to 100% of games for a full decade, it, over 90%. It, it's really amazing that the, the um, consistency that the Yankees had at many positions in the 2000s, it makes you wonder. You kind of understand looking at the decade team of the 2010s why they never won a championship. You look at the 2000s and and you kind of wonder why they didn't win more championships with the consistency and the excellence that they had at many positions. Alex Rodriguez is obviously the third baseman. 39 more, 238 homers, 152 WRC plus, which is sick. He he had the what? Can we talk about I forgot about this that I can't believe I haven't brought it up yet. The fact that Alex Rodriguez rung us into the new year at Times Square with New York, New York blaring in the background at, in, with an empty Times Square. Alex Rodriguez was on that stage with like Seacrest or whoever the hell was up there. When you watch the ball drop on whatever channel it was, freaking Alex Rodriguez was the one <laughs> ringing the us in effect. with J-Lo. Yeah, yeah. It's the J-Lo but effect. I'm just saying, like, What? <laughs> What? I think Jeter was sitting at home with his two ch- two children. I believe he has two children now, Derek Jeter. Just and like don't that. forget about the dog. The dog is Disgusted. very close to him. He's just like he's no, he's sitting there laughing with um, smoking a cigar, smoking a cigar, like doing the Jordan, looking at his iPad. He, it's just, it's just very strange. That's all I'll say. The whole picture of Alex Rodriguez ringing us into the new year in empty Times Square with New York, New York, blaring, crazy. What year? In two thousand, in the new year, 2009 to 2010, if someone said, one of these two people will be in Times Square for 2020, it's going to be Alex Rodriguez or Derek Jeter. Who do you think it's going to be? With J-Lo and yeah. no other people in Times Square. <laughs> like, you know, however many people were they allowed in there. But up there with J-Lo, with their family, and yeah. you definitely would have put, I, get, I guarantee... If there was a if there was an odds maker putting money or putting some uh, some numbers to this back then <laughs> about who would end up with J Lo, I mean overwhelmingly, it would it be was, Jeter. I mean Jeter was on the trajectories. Mariah Carey, yeah, a- actresses. It's like yeah, of course J Lo will be next. A-, a Rod swooped in though. That's a part of the Erodicence. You see, I, I mean, it look, was, man, he. <laughs> I can't knock. I cannot. I cannot knock that part of his life. I just can't. Yeah. As much Complete as I, 180. as much as he rubs me the wrong way, you know, the the man has taken care of business on the on the on the second half of his uh, of his life post baseball. Statistically, he had the the much vaunted 300, 400, 500 slash line. It was actually 300, 401, 567 slugging slash line, which is awesome. 40 homers, 27 doubles, 119 RBI as an average season. Did you know Aaron Boone ranks fourth on the most productive third baseman list with 0.6 war for the Yankees? He hit 254, 302, 418 for a Chase Headley-like 89 WRC+. That, that, that'll get you the managerial job of the New York Yankees. <laughs> Talking about iconic moments and what they can do for you with a team. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get to the outfield where I did it instead of going position by position. If you look at the top outfielders, now you have. So the are stats we do, are we doing that because yeah because the the numbers that I see in here have 
positions there and want and well so here's okay here's how they're, 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 and one of them's it. disrespectful well here's the thing johnny damon was actually the most productive yankees outfielder for the decade he had 13.3 war he was ahead of hideki matsui at 12.6 who was ahead of bernie williams at 10.9 okay so those have your... the plate appearances is bernie williams but i'm just saying those okay. are the three the three most productive outfielders you also have on this list Bobby Abreu, Gary Sheffield, Melky Cabrera, Paul O'Neill, and Chuck Knobloch. Okay, that's the top eight outfielders for who qualified for minimum plate appearances in the decade. You got to rule out Knobloch, obviously. You got to rule rule out O'Neill because he only played two seasons. You got to rule out Melky Cabrera because he's just not good enough. If you want to say Gary Sheffield. Because of his peak, okay. Bobby Abreu, also really good seasons. But in my mind, it's clearly Damon Matsui Bernie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, just looking at the plate appearances alone, too, they they dwarf everybody else. So they they dominated the playing time as well. Not to mention they all three of them were very productive players. Okay. So now using those three players, yeah. make an outfield. Uh, so I'm putting Bernie Williams in center field. Okay, fine. Who's playing right field then? Johnny. Because Johnny Damon never played right field in his career. Johnny Bernie Damon Williams right did. Field. Johnny, Johnny Damon, Damon right actually field. has a worse arm than Bernie Williams. Right, so I'm putting him in right field. Exactly. No, right fielders need good arms. Not at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, you do. You still need to throw to third base. There's, I don't think Bernie or Johnny Damon are throwing anybody out uh, at third base. So if we're looking at the two players saying that one of them has a much better arm than the other, yes, Johnny Damon throws like a, a, a little leaguer, but and looks like a little leaguer throwing. It's amazing to me how he, he got as far as he did with that. It's a good thing he has a bat because that man, his arm, my goodness, Chad Pennington comes to mind. But um, Bernie Williams is center fielder, center fielder of the New York Yankees. Don't, don't put disrespect on his name. He's going to be the center fielder of the 90s. Surprise, surprise. So I just figured constructing a good defensive outfield using those three players. It was Hideki Matsui in left field, Johnny Damon in center field, Bernie Williams in right field. So you want to put... Damon in right and Bernie in center? Thousand percent. Okay. All right. Whatever. So Johnny Damon is a cat. A cat out there. Johnny Damon. I feel like underrated, amazing signing by Brian Cashman. He signed a four-year, $52 million contract, and he was the most productive outfielder of the decade. That's an amazing signing. Can we talk about the fact that Johnny Damon's not throwing somebody out at third base from center field, let alone right field? And, and okay. that went into your determination of who's playing right field. There's he also no never played right field, and, and Bernie Williams did. Can we also talk about the fact that Johnny Damon is not going to throw out somebody at third base from left field? <laughs> Let alone you know, a, a deep shortstop position? To be honest, no one is throwing anyone out from the south field because Matsui's arm wasn't the best either. So this is an outfield. Matsui's arm was outfield better, much better to... than, than, uh, than Damon's. By default. Yes. <laughs> yes. Bernie, Damon, and Matsui all below average outfielder arms. They could all catch the ball. They all had great instincts and great range, and they could all hit. It's pretty common to see a center fielder with a with a below average arm or with an average arm. Your your rocket arms usually are not in center field. The center fielders are are, are guys who can cover a ton of ground, put leather on a ball, and then you know get the ball in when they can. That's the second I- priority. I read an article, or maybe I didn't read the whole article. I probably read a a section of an article that was trying to find Mike Trout's weakness, and they settled on arm strength. Yeah, he's he's an anomaly. I mean, he's one of the best players that's ever played the game. Uh, But traditionally, you see 
the arms in the corners. That's where you see the arms. Uh, I think you traditionally see the weakest arm in left field. Left field, potentially. Right field is your strongest arm. Uh, we'll agree and with center that. field, usually strong arms. But there's a lot of athletic center fielders that did not have good arms. A lot. Yeah. So, uh, don't you agree, though, four-year, $52 million contract for Damon, and he turns out an average season of 285, 363, 458 with 19 homers, 31 doubles, 13 That's some big more. moments, too, in, in big at-bats. Yeah, like yeah. really good signing. Definitely. It definitely was. I hated it when it happened because I was in the peak of my hatred for the um, for the Red Sox. And to me, it was like the devil incarnate was coming over. And I hated yeah. him. I really did. I really hated him. Remember the whole thing where he's shaving and cutting his hair? I'm like, ugh, vomit in my mouth. He, I mean, he was the epitome of the, the Red Sox idiots because he's an idiot <laughs> as well. And he's a mimbo. And so like, the whole, I don't know, for whatever reason, when he came over, I just really did not like him at all. And he he turned it around. And that's that is such a perfect example of how guys can turn around what your mindset is about somebody when they enter the pinstripes. When they put those things on, man, magic happens. And magic. all of a sudden you're like, eh, okay. The things that I that I hated before, I don't hate so much anymore. Mm-hmm. I talked about the Encarnacion parrot. Hated the parrot. Hated hated the guy that ran around with a stupid imaginary parrot. Loved it. When so he came you're to the saying, Yankees. even though we hate Trevor Bauer right now, we'll love the vlog after he signs. Do you have a turd in your pocket? Because I don't hate him. <laughs> Hideki Matsui was the second most productive outfielder. He hit the most home runs with 140 at a 124 WRC plus. He averaged 292 batting average with 20 homers and 28 doubles. And uh, he's a left fielder. Did you know? This is a fun fact. Matsui's consecutive game streak in the MLB, which was 518 games. He also played 1,250 consecutive games in Japan, ended on May 11th, 2006. We obviously remember him breaking his wrist, sliding for uh, a ball oh, against the Red Sox. I can still like cringe seeing it. Matsui holds the franchise record for, for playing in 163 games in a season, which happened in 2003. Odd, because the Yankees only played 162 games that year. So how did this happen? On September 18th, the Yankees played a five-inning game in Baltimore that was called due to rain, but it was tied after five innings. Because the playoffs were still undetermined, officials decided to count the stats for the game, but not the result of the game. A makeup game was played the following week at Yankee Stadium. Matsui also played in that game, so he was credited with playing the game that never happened on September 18th and the makeup game, which made him play in 163 games that year. So why do you think that they, why do you think that they did that with the stats and just didn't erase the stats? Because if there were, if the rain was called, um, you know, three, three, three outs before that, the stats would not yeah. have counted. It's probably a, it's a weird decision. I don't get it. I don't know why they didn't just suspend the game and then pick it up in the fifth inning. That's what they would do today. But they didn't do it then, right? That was a that was I a newer not. rule where they changed to to extend the games and and suspend them rather than just end the yeah. game itself. Yeah, it's very very odd because it's a scheduling nightmare. That's why. That's originally why it wasn't. You know, you don't just suspend the games to replay them. It's. I don't think the the teams or the players liked doing that either because you're coming in at a weird time. It it affects the preparation. It affects the way that you're. I I don't think the teams wanted to do that at the end. In the end of the uh, at the end of the day, yeah, I guess. And like, we, do you remember a couple of years ago the Yankees had a suspension against the Nationals and then had to go back to DC to play like four innings? Yeah, 
Again, weird. That's that's a weird scenario that's not ideal for any team. And Juan Soto hit a home run in that game, even though he wasn't originally on the roster right. in the first, yeah, in the first yeah. game. Right. Which I'm like, well, why shouldn't you have to use the roster that you had? Because it may not be ago? there. It's it, Yeah, it's stupid. That's that's the thing. That's why it adds so many different little complications to it, I think, that it's easier just to end the game. Yeah. Matsui also, we've said it a million times, awesome signing by Brian Cashman. Bernie Williams is the third most productive outfielder, 10.9 more. He hit the second most home runs, 136. He had a 120 WRC+. He was not the same player in this decade that he was in the 90s, but he averaged 288 batting average with 19 homers, 30 doubles. Um, he hold, Did you know he holds the most games played, 980 to Matsui's 916 for the Yankees in the outfield, despite not playing after 2006? I got to tell you, when you look at these numbers for these guys, they're they're pretty crazy how close they are. Yeah. Uh, in in uh, between the three of them, I mean, when you're looking at um, here walk just percentage, look at their, their look batting at walk averages, percentage. their, yeah, their and on base percentages, wa- WRC plus, walk percentage, uh, Damon ten point six, Matsui ten point nine, Bernie eleven point five, K percentage thirteen point six, twelve point seven, twelve point nine. Yeah, average uh, 285, 292, 288. It's like they had a, a prototype for a type of player that they wanted to get, and they <laughs> yeah. went out and got it. Did Bernie set the bar here and say, okay, let's get more guys uh, a la the production of Bernie Williams? That's easy to say, probably very difficult to do, but they did it. They found they found two other guys that, that you know, matched uh, very close to production. Well, Bernie is an example of like we were talking earlier that if you just do the decade cutoff, his stats look less impressive than if you take like 1995 to 2005, which is also 10 years. Bernie's stats are off the charts for that 10 year span. You know what I mean? So it's like his peak just happened to coincide with the transition of a decade, which we'll talk about more in the 90s. So Bernie's another guy. Bernie is Bernie another guy that we look back in 20 years at at what the numbers, because you know the numbers that are accumulating right now in the next 20 years are going to be so much lower than a lot of these fringe guys uh, that were actually not fringe guys when you look at Hall of Fame voting. Because Bernie also dismissed pretty quickly. Bernie and Jorge, I think history is going to reflect back and be very favorable on both of those players. But the major difference there is that Bernie is an outfielder. And among outfielders, he's less impressive than Posada was among catchers. That's fine. But when you add the championships into the conversation here and the way that this team was and the fact that Bernie William is just repeatedly disrespected when when discussing these uh, these teams... Uh, I, I do think that history and the numbers, because of the way that they are going to transpire in the next 20 years, I think he's, his numbers are going to look a hell of a lot different. Do you know what's really it's messed up? It's going to be up? one of those. I th- I would predict at this point right now, what you're, it's uh, 2021, that both Jorge and Bernie, it would not. I will predict, I'll go out on a limb and say, um, call me in 20 years <laughs> if I'm wrong, that they will be the uh, a committee, uh, a committee induct, in, induction into the Hall of Fame. What's really messed up that is if Brett Gardner plays one more year with the Yankees, he will get more pomp and circumstance on his way out than Bernie Williams did in 2006. Well, the ending of the Bernie Williams career was was off-putting because the yeah. Yankees essentially the Yankees essentially did what they to Bernie what they should do to Brett Gardner and <laughs> yeah. phase out a player that's not as productive as uh, as he had been on the on the field, but Bernie with a much higher much higher peak and much higher uh, value to the to the team and the and the franchise than Brett Gardner. I love Brett Gardner. Don't get me wrong, but, but they're not close. Bernie Williams, all time Yankee. Williams. Yeah, 
designated hitter, and I think this is where Soriano fits in. You could also pick Gary Sheffield or Bobby Abreu. I think those are the top three candidates. When you look at most productive offensive players, it's Jeter, Rodriguez, Posada, Giambi, Damon, Matsui, Cano, Bernie, Soriano, Bobby Abreu, Gary Sheffield. That's the top 11. All of those players are already starters somewhere else. So I think you're deciding between Sori, Sheffield, and Abreu. Who are you going with? Soriano. I think I think Soriano definitely uh, gets it here. I think that he he looks like a DH when you look at his when you look at his numbers. He was he was definitely one of the first. I don't know when I'm looking at second baseman and uh, you look at traditional guys that fit that second base mold. There, majority of them are not power hitters. They're not these athletic, rangy guys like a, a Soriano. He was um, he was a different type of second baseman. And I think that's a, a, why he eventually went to the outfield. Um, but his bat was electric. Yeah. Uh, and I totally agree. Gary Sheffield had some amazing seasons, but I, you know what? I just don't like Gary Sheffield that much. I know you don't. There's You definitely have disdain for Der- Gary Sheffield quite often. Yeah. Look at, you know what's crazy is you look uh, one through 15 in the 2000s guys that were, that we have, uh, that you put on this list, the top DH for offensive players, New York Yankees in this, in this era, right? Look at the K percentage for all of them. Yeah. There's only one guy that's at 20% and that's Posada. He's yeah, at Posada's the highest at 20.2%. Jeter, 14.3. A-Rod, 18.9. Giambi, 19.1. Gary Sheffield, 11.5. Talk about a that's that's the um that's the type of you know bat to ball kind of guy. He had such a violent swing, but he made a ton of contact. He I was mean, a, he was another one of those good bad ball hitters. Even Soriano was only 19.9%. He only walked 4.2% of the time, but he didn't strike out. Right. It's crazy when you look at the makeup of these players and you know what we should do is See, it was should, a different world. It was, I know, but sport. I, w- I want to look at, you know, what now the, the past three, 27%, years, past 49%, 33% yeah. different makeup. But when you look at some of these championship teams, you're going to start to see more of these K percentages down in the teens. I guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you have top 15 players basically striking out 20% or less, and when there's only one guy, Posada, who was so good everywhere else offensively, it, it, it's like, okay. You could yeah, put Seriano right there. He was at 19.9. So yeah, for but, intensive purposes, he was there. But you have two of them in the lineup, not eight. No, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. It really is. The starting pitcher. That was a better product. That was a better product on the field. Way for better product. Way better product. Not even close. Starting pitcher is interesting. And I think this is where some people might have uh, some problems with my pick. And I was surprised at my pick because I'm not the biggest fan of this guy. Starting pitcher for the 2000s is Mike Messina. He led all famer. starting pitchers in games. Messina. Huh? Hall of Famer. He led in games, 248, wins, 123, war, 34.5, ERA, 3.87, FIP, 3.51, and is second in ERA minus, which is basically adjusted to ballpark in the league. He has an, the lower is better, below 100 is better. He has an 87 ERA minus. Clemens had an 86 ERA minus, but in far fewer innings. I think Mike Messina is the clear choice, and I think a number two is Andy Pettit. Were you but, expecting Pettit to be the number one when you went into this? Yeah, but then I remembered he spent three years in Houston. 
we forget about those years, especially now. We don't like to, to mutter the name of that team. And the fact that Andy Pettit went there is blasphemy. But yeah, it's true. It might be, I don't know why Mike Bucci is such a, why, why you don't, it's like, it's pretty clear here. The amount of, again, I think when you're looking at these decade teams like this, you have to look at sample size. You have to look at the amount that they played as well. And I mean, he was, he was clearly the, uh, by what, 30 games pitched more than anybody, than, than Pettit being number two. No, I know that. And then a hundred games over Clemens, who was the number three. I, I just was like, oh, it's going to be Andy Pettit because it's Andy Pettit. Right. And then I looked at the numbers and realized it's Mike Messina. And unfortunately, Mike Messina wasn't on a championship team. He book he bookended the championships. He came in in 2001. They lost. He left in 2008, the year before they won. Yeah, that's crazy. The um, yeah, Mike Bucina is a guy that you don't. Why don't you like him? I oh, know I do Cause like because he's smarter than you. Is that well, he's much smarter than me? But that's he knows it. He knows it too. There. He knows it. So here's the here's my thing about Mike Messina is that he because Frank I, likes him. I thought yeah, that doesn't help. I thought that he. I think he's a guy that waters down the Hall of Fame a little bit. And that's not really a knock on Mike Messina. It's a knock on guys like Mike Messina. Like there's the Craig, a lot the Craig of Vigios. Yeah. There's a lot of really good players in the Hall of Fame that I I think of Hall of Fame, I think you need to be elite or you need to have done something iconic in the sport. And Mike Messina did not do that. Is he a fantastic player? Was he a fantastic pitcher for a long time? Yes. And if that's what you want your Hall of Fame to be, then fine. That's not what I would prefer the Hall of Fame to be. But at this point, it's too late. And there's there's dozens of Mike Messinas in the Hall of Fame. So yes, in that context, he deserves to be there. He told uh, Joe Torre to shut the F up and stay in the dugout. That was cool. That was an iconic moment-ish. And you know what? Mike Messina should have won the Cy Young over Roger Clemens in 2001. This is something I wrote uh, over the, the uh, summer when I was doing an article about underappreciated seasons um, for the Yankees. Moose's first season in pinstripes was his best, and he deserved to be the AL Cy Young despite finishing fifth in voting. Why did he finish so low? Because voters still looked at the win-loss record to determine pitcher effectiveness, and Messina went 17-11, whereas his teammate and Cy Young winner Roger Clemens went 20-3. Clemens, of course, had a fantastic season, but Messina led the league in FIP, ERA minus, and WAR, and finished second behind Freddie Garcia and ERA. If Messina achieved those things in today's game, he would have unquestionably he would unquestionably win a Cy Young award. You could probably go back in history and name, you know. A hell of a lot of uh, a hell of a lot of different accolades and, and and assign different accolades and and you know the belts of Cy Young or the awards of MVP to different players based on what is looked at today because these MVP numbers, these probably numbers didn't the exist. Worst. Yeah, these numbers MVP, didn't exist. You look at the the mid to late nineties and the guy who finished with the most RBIs won the yeah. won the MVP. It was it was a power hitting number uh, award. It was. Did you hit forty home runs? Did you have one hundred and twenty RBIs? You won the MVP. Yeah, that's true. Doesn't matter if you couldn't do anything else, right? Those were baseball card numbers. If you had the baseball card numbers, then you were uh, you were awarded. So yeah, that's a different era. But it's it's pretty funny if you went back and looked at who should have won based on what is the uh, you know evaluation today based on the different metrics that are considered important to organizations. Very different people, I bet. And your reliever is Mariano Rivera. People were also mad we didn't pick Mariano for the 2010s, that we picked Dylan Batances. That's a time thing. Mariano had two seasons, right? 
three seasons in the 2010s because he was injured for one of them. Yeah, it's it's. There's no disrespect here. There is no disrespect here. This is this is a. Uh, you got to look at how many games they played, the amount of um, of action they had, and then value based on that. So yeah, the Mariano is clearly head above shoulders the guy here. It's funny because you mentioned that there were no other good relievers at that time that were highly effective, and it was basically Mariano versus the Dodgers that, that yeah. got them up to that um, that 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 skill. I, I'd say that you'd probably for good bullpens though. When you're looking back at some of the older teams, especially in this decade, you're going to see the guys with dominant closers at the top. The teams with dominant closers at the top, no, wasn't because there there just wasn't as much. Um, there weren't as many guys that were contributing in the bullpen like you're today's right, game. Right. Starters so, pitched longer, yeah. yeah. And you have a dominant guy like an Eric Gagne or uh, you know a Trevor Hoffman. Like you're you're probably going to lift your team bullpen numbers up. Yeah, Mariano had 23.5 WAR. This was the 34th most productive pitcher in MLB during the decade. And he was the only full-time reliever to appear in the top 86. Billy Wagner was ranked 87th and Trevor Hoffman was ranked 89th with about 14 war. So Mariano produced about 10 more war than those two relievers in the decade. That's how good he was. And you look at some of the other names on the Yankees list here, Mike Stanton, Tom Gordon, Ramiro Mendoza, Steve Carse, Paul Quantrill, Scott Proctor, Joe Torre's favorite. Um, the search for a setup man in the 2000s was exhausting. <laughs> yeah, really. Brian Bruni had a decent run for a minute. Um, Farnsworth was thought to be a guy that was going to come in because he was big and strong. and look, He looked the part. And he wore rec specs. R- yeah, he did. Ramiro, Ramiro Mendoza was a very effective pitcher. I mean, he was, he was good um, in spots. Uh, and I think he served a very needed role as that swing guy for the, for the Yankees in this decade, Tom Gordon, I think when you look back at his numbers were much better than, than I, yeah, he just shook the fans bed in the playoffs. Remember. Yeah. Unfortunately. And that, that goes back to exactly, it's the opposite effect, right? You can have great numbers and, and fantastic numbers and be a contributor for your entire tenure. But if you shit the bed in the playoffs, that's <laughs> what you're getting remembered for. Yep. It's the same thing on the other side. If you don't yeah. win, then that's what you get remembered for. People, th- I mean, Mariano obviously blew the save in game four of the ALCS, but then in game five, Tom Gordon loaded the bases with nobody out. Mariano had to come in and clean his mess up, and he did allow the tying run to score, but people are like, oh, Mariano blew that save too. No, it was freaking Tom Gordon. And Mike Stanton was the reason why um, I'm trying to get Kemp to throw with his left arm, because... <laughs> The, the left-handed re- middle reliever market got bolstered big time when Mike Stanton was in the league because that man didn't stop pitching until it fell off. Yep. All right, so that's the team. It, uh, it was much more clear-cut. Your team is Posada as catcher, Jason Giambi at first, Robinson Cano at second, Derek Jeter at short, A-Rod at third, Matsui in left. You want to name Bernie in center? Fine. Johnny Damon in right, designated hitter is Soriano with Messina on the mound starting and Mariano closing it out. I think that is an uh, the clear-cut team for the 2000s. In a couple of weeks, we'll probably do the 90s. I don't know if anyone's going to make it pre-1996. We'll find out. Any last words, Scott, before we get um, out of here? Mattingly, Mattingly's going to try to creep up there, man. It's gonna, He's going to try to creep up. But Yeah, and we're going to have to see why Tino was better in that, in that era than Mattingly was. Goddamn. Um, no, that that was that was fun 
this is uh this is an interesting off season so hopefully something happens we keep saying that <laughs> but otherwise we will we will lean on the history because uh, there's only so much you can talk about these damn rumors that don't mean a goddamn thing until they do mean something and that's when they sign <laughs> because everything else is smoke right now and please 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 now that we're in the new year now that A-Rod has brought us in to the the 2021 year and season just sign DJ let's 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 correct course now get her done get her done let's correct right, course that- that's going to do it for this episode. Just a quick reminder to rate and review the podcast if you've not done so already. Start out 2021 on a good foot with us. If you're a new listener, old listener, medium-term listener, whatever it is, throw us a rating. It'll be much appreciated. We'll talk to you guys next week. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show... We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.